festive fun and companionship on the all-new Manx Radio. Master Mai, good afternoon. Welcome along to Manx Radio's Man in Line for Friday 15th of December. Alex sitting in once again for Andy, who's uh, unwell. Get well soon, Andy. And it's a special this afternoon. I'm joined in the studio live by the Isle of Man's uh, Chief Minister, Alfred Cannon, MHK. What would you like to talk to him about? It's open line with the Chief Minister through until uh, one o'clock. There's a whole host of topics we can get through. It's been a bit of a roller coaster week in Timwall. We're talking about everything from uh, our territorial seas, freedom of information, gas, and I'm sure there's plenty more that you'd like to talk about as well. So give us a call on 66 13 68. Don't leave it till the last minute. Uh, well, first of all, Mr. Cannon, good afternoon. Good afternoon. And uh, thank you very much for, for coming in today. Um, it's been quite a, a roller coaster week in uh, in Timwald for you, uh, for a start. Um, two defeats um, when it comes to the, uh, the vote on the... Um, at the territorial waters and also the uh, Office for Human Resources report, do you do you feel that there's a bit of a, a rebellion in your backbenches? Well, no. I mean, there's no there's no such thing as an easy week in in politics, and I haven't uh, known an easy week in Manx politics for, for for four plus years now. Ever since you know COVID came along, and then that's nearly you know well, it is almost four years ago since the beginning of of uh, the coronavirus uh, pandemic and the impacts that that had. And I can tell you for the last four years, every week has thrown up something new. And look, I mean, no, I mean, you know, Timwald is a a functional parliament. I think it's healthy and it's good that occasionally um, parliament decides and uh, that the council of ministers is not necessarily going in the, in the right direction on a couple of issues. I mean, clearly one has to determine exactly what the government is being um, defeated on. I think this was a report, an HR report. Uh, you know, frankly, you know, it's been published now. I think people understand why we wanted a bit more time to assess a report that says you're going to create 54 new jobs and spend three more million pounds. And I'll come on to why we needed some more time, if that's an explanation. But you know, Tim would wanted that published, so so you know, we'll obviously have to deal with all the questions around that it's unfortunate because we put in a new chief executive officer we've reformed actually the whole executive team now as you as you know on the back of the ransom uh, uh, uh affair and and the consequences of that employment tribunal we've also changed the way that government's operated we put an operations performance board we've done a huge amount um in terms of also bringing in uh, non-executive uh, advisors in certain areas to make sure that, that more governance is applied um and this reform of hr was one of the areas that we identified and we needed to to um, strengthen and get a grip off. But, you know, sometimes government thinks it needs a bit more time. Tim Ward felt they wanted to see exactly what was being proposed. So there it is. That's out. And then when it came to the... Uh, Before what, you what... move on, I've got, I've got to pick you Sorry. up. You said you were going to come back on the timing. The, 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 the report dated March 2023 and you wanted um, until April 2024. What, why was it going to take so long? Why well, was it going because, to take a year? Well, because, because as I've just explained, we've also been in quite a transitional period in terms of the senior executive team. As you know, we were going through a recruitment process. It does take time um, to get people uh, through to that selection process and then go through the interview process. You know that uh, the new chief executive officer, Andy Ralph's only start at the beginning of November, the new chief operating officer that we brought in as part of these reform structures. Uh, and there were various other senior appointments going through through the process. We've only just um, commenced the, the, the appointment of the uh, 
permanent position for the director of human resources as well. So there's a lot there to, to factor in, um, Alex. And then it's important we get this right and we don't rush it. OK, so, you know, we, we, we're adamant that, that we were going to use, um, obviously, that, that, that concern um, that had been expressed around the uh, employment tribunal to try and drive through proper uh, reforms so that uh, the cult, both the culture in government but also the operational effectiveness was as good as it can be and we've made significant progress in that respect and that's why we but we needed more time and we need more time when somebody says well actually you need another 54 members of staff and you need to spend an extra three million pounds of taxpayers funds you know we've also got a number of other critical operational issues that we are trying to to resolve and 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 sort out at the moment and of course we have an extremely challenging public finance position at the moment as as we know and you know we're both having to come to terms with that but but also figure out how that is going to be um uh dealt with in in next year's budget and the, and the treasury minister has to get to grips with that as well so there's not just three million pounds floating around government that we're just going to throw at something and we are taking a proper considered approach in our approach to delivering reform in the greater interests of effectiveness efficiency but also in terms of those people who work for the government and deliver public services i i get all that and it's a it, it's a lot of um technical government speak in terms of the headline you mentioned it there yourself um an extra three million pounds for possible more than 50 new jobs um, and you wanted to to release that report in April next year. Isn't that just made putting off a bad headline in terms of our economic One, status till after the budget? No, the critical thing, that report was going to get released, clearly, mm. but what was, what was fundamentally important alongside that, and I think people should know when these reports are released, ideally, is what government is actually going to do. And we are not in that position yet. Uh, and there could be other impacts in other areas if you just decide that we are going to follow every single recommendation in, in that report. And as I said, you know, when you put in a new executive team, when you go through that whole process of reform, and we've reformed the whole effectively top tier in, in government in many ways, we've put in a new operations performance board to hold the chief executive officer to account. We've changed the job functions from chief executive officers through these departments to chief officers. We've strengthened the lines of uh, accountability. And this is all about delivering better public services, but having effective governance and control, but also accountability when it comes to the top level of decision making. So these reforms are happening. They, of course, they take time in terms of um, the impacts. But but what should have happened, really, in our view, was we should have delivered that report alongside a proper government response. So rather than big speculations that we are going to hire 54 people and we are going to spend three million pounds, and at this moment, I don't know, we needed that time and space. And that's what really we said to Timwald, but Timwald clearly wanted it published. OK, um, we'll, we'll come back to um, the uh, improvement in public services later on. We've got a few people on the phones. Um, first of all, uh, Andrew is on wanting to talk to the uh, uh, Chief Minister. Andrew, you're live with Alfred Cannon. Hi, uh, good afternoon, Chief Minister. Um, in the UK, if uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak had brought something to the Commons that had been defeated... Uh, there'd be a situation where the uh, men in grey suits would be speaking with him and there would be a call for a vote of confidence. Are you certain that the uh, Komen will not be having a vote of confidence in you and why should the House of Keys not have a vote of confidence in you? Many thanks. Well, Andrew, I mean, normally, well, first of all, 
in the UK, they elect a party and you normally elect your, your prime minister. So the, the structure of governance is very, very different. We're not an authoritarian um, state. In other words, there's no uh, party system here in terms of what is presented to, to the electorate. So there is a variance there. And secondly, I think this was just a, just a general debate motion. Yes, it's asked the government to do things. If it was a piece of critical legislation that the government thought was critical and we were defeated, then clearly then when you get into those situations, then, then questions do need to be asked. But uh, I don't regard it as the release of an HR report to be a critical uh, matter. I think in terms of Andrew's question there, I mean, um, this obviously is in a bigger picture. We've mentioned that the uh, also the defeat on the territorial waters vote. Um, in the bigger picture, Chief Minister of Guernsey, of course, lost a vote of no confidence and has been replaced. And it was at the end of the last administration that Daphne Kane um, introduced this process for ousting a Chief Minister um, with a simple majority. Do you feel you've still got the authority? It seems you have, um, you know, fewer friends on the back benches. Do you feel you've still got authority over the government in terms of being able to get votes through on, as you say, possibly minor votes, but also significant legislation. Well, look, this has happened many times before. This is not a unique position. Um, But as I say, it depends on the subject matter and the critical, uh, the importance that's placed on it. Uh, These are not matters of national importance for which the government is staking its, its, its credibility. This was an HR report and the uh, economic zone uh, in terms of the position is made, been quite, made quite clear by the UK and the last letter to the government, I know it was 25 or 30 years ago, clearly said, you have no legal basis for that claim, we consider the matter closed. Now, Clearly, Tim, Tim will say, well, you, we want you to write to the UK government again. Fine. If they come back and say no again, uh, who, who, who's, who should be resigning? I'm not sure. So these are not matters. If you're talking about critical legislation and you're talking about a government position that needs to be sustained for the national interest, then it is a different matter. OK, Andrew, um, has that answered your question? Yes, um, but I, I would please like uh, Chief Minister to identify what are the top three priorities uh, facing his government, his administration. Chief Minister. Yeah, well, I think uh, it's interesting. I mean, Council of Ministers have recently been, been looking at this. Uh, first and foremost, the need now for fin- for strong financial discipline. We have a significant uh, deficit that we are dealing with, and that deficit is eating into our reserves, and that now... That, that matter must be dealt with uh, properly in financial discipline because of all the overspends that have been happening over the last 12 months in particular, particularly with the health department, but in other areas as well, that needs to, that, that needs to stop. The second priority is the uh, energy uh, situation, the offshore and onshore energy. We must make significant progress because we are working to deadlines and the island must have uh, complete knowledge um, and confidence that we will have energy security from the 2030s moving forward. Um, and then there are there's a number of priorities, but uh, uh, the economic performance and economic growth of the island uh, is strongly up there in that top three as well. We've set out a strong economic program that revolves around ensuring that we create these new jobs, that we start to change 
uh, both the economic performance of the island, but also some of the demographic issues and challenges that we're facing. And that's definitely on the, uh, the top three register as well. There we go. Thank you, Andrew, for your question there. I'll pick you up, Chief Minister. You mentioned there about um, financial situation and the deficit. Um, and obviously, the Treasury Minister, Alex Allenson, um, has got a challenge on his hands. How much of this is basically him having to pick up um, where, where you left off? Because in terms of your role as the Treasury Minister, we spent, I, I, I've, I've glibly said on air a few times before, we've spent in the past, like a, a drunken sailor on leave, in terms of um, the amount of money that our ceiling of cost us, not just in the, the purchase of the steam packet, the loan for the Manxman, the loans to the steam packet itself, the uh, ferry terminal in Liverpool. We're talking hundreds of millions of pounds here. Um, and um, we're, we're now getting to the point, as you say, where money is drying up. OK, we have a financial deficit and we're taking from reserves, but we've spent a huge amount of those reserves. How much is basically what was set in place when you were uh, Treasury Minister is now coming back um, uh, to, to bite us, as it were? Well, so for, first of all, when I was Treasury, we've always been dealing, we've been dealing with a deficit probably since about 2008 when that VAT agreement was changed. You know, when I first came into Parliament, it was a very, very difficult five years uh, for Alan Bell and Eddie Tear. And we know that some of the impacts that, 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 that were felt during that time as belts were tightened and charges were levied, etc. You know, 2016 to 2021, I think we'd moved to a position where we had restored growth uh, again into the economy and that we had a very controlled budgetary plan. Uh, although we were still running um, a deficit, that deficit was counteracted quite significantly by the interest that was coming from the reserves and actually often that was actually resulting in, in, in a surplus. What has changed significantly is, first of all, COVID, uh, the cost to government of dealing with the COVID crisis, and then that's been compounded significantly by both energy costs and also you know that peak period, sort of 2021-22, when energy costs started to, to spike significantly. And of course, Really, what's done the damage is, has been inflation. Uh, and that has blown off course the financial plan. And we are in a position now. You do get more income tax retreats, though, from inflation, have, don't you? Yes, so that, but, that but if spending, yeah. spending is, is outstripping basically what, what we are getting in. And that, that has changed, that emphasis has changed now more dr drastically because of inflation and it needs recorrection. And we're going to have to do that and, and figure that out in the next 12 months. But first and foremost, what we've got to do now is get everybody in a very delicate situation like this, is get everybody operating absolutely strictly within that allocated um, budgets. So and, the spending on things like 300 odd million on the sea links and everything else, that hasn't had an effect well, on I, I, the situation we're in now. I wouldn't start convoluting various mm. items of spending, right? Buying the steam packet was a well thought out, absolutely necessary decision. And let me say, if we'd not done that, Alex, just mm -hmm. imagine the chaos there would have been for the two years of the COVID crisis and what we would have had to do to have funded a private company during that 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 period. Um, would that, that have topped the Would that, that have topped the money we've we've spent? Well, on I there, don't but, I don't yeah. know, Alex. I mean, but I'm just saying we had control of our vital national security strategic transport asset, and that was absolutely the right thing to do. As as was demonstrated, as it happens, 18 months after purchase, when coronavirus and COVID came along. Secondly, that business in itself is operating to a still 
to a very, very good profit level. Now, we need to look at that profit level because ask, and ask ourselves, do we need the steam packet to earn all that money, £15 million pounds a year? So Because you didn't that, receive a dividend this part, year, did you? Part, well, the Treasury Minister, I think, is taking out a £1 million pounds a year now from, from, from that's the paying, That's paying the loan of the maximum, but the dividend to shareholder um, was not, nil. We're, well, there's no, yeah, we're not taking dividends per se from, from, that, from that business. Okay, so, so what it is building is it paying, up. Yeah. It is building up its cash reserves, which is going to need the cash reserves for any future uh, capital acquisitions, i.e., new ships. And it's scheduled to have a new fast craft uh, within the next few years, and we'll obviously have to pay for that. So let's park that because that argument, I think, anybody who's saying that does not commercially work is is wrong. Full stop. We are getting a significant return for our 120 million pound investment into that business. The issue of the capital expenditure, however, is unfortunate and is a different matter you know and that project as we all recognize um although it will have longer term dividends in having that that asset there in liverpool for the for the long term next 200 years the direct the interim cost or the short term cost of that and going from where it started at 25 million pounds and ending up now where it is at 75 80 million pounds and we've still got to define the final final figure clearly is one of those capital projects that carries with it significant levels of um, regret in terms of the way that that costs have spiraled. Um, Again, though, some of those costs have have spiraled because of COVID and because of inflation. But nevertheless, it's been been a, a capital project that has eaten into our reserves. If you knew now what you knew then back as Treasury Minister, what would you say about the Liverpool Ferry Terminal? <laughs> well, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I mean, as it stood at the time in terms of what, what we were told for delivery, then it made sense. I think what what will need to be looked at now, the Public Accounts Committee and the Scrutiny Committees who are looking at this will clearly ha- have something to say when they when they review the circumstances of everything that's uh, that's happened, including the initial assessment of the value of, of, of the land. But... You know, we did a thorough consultation or a thorough consultation was carried out. In fact, that was started before I joined the government in 2016. But the majority of people on the island who who responded to that consultation said, yes, we want to go to Liverpool and that will be the best place for you to secure our future. Because bear in mind, we were going to lose that that berth that we were currently uh, and have been using at the moment. Uh, one final question on this, and then we'll get to Juan, who's on the the phone lines. You mentioned there about how the um, the the steam packet is um, it was a good business decision, and it's working a good return on investment. How are we getting that return on investment? I I put to you that we didn't get a dividend as a shareholder. So how is that money coming back? Uh, aside from paying off the loans, because I know part of the purchase was also paying off existing loans, and there's the loan for the Manxman, and that that's obviously you know loans are a normal thing when it comes to um, building new craft how are we making money now from the steam packet or is it in that phase where really at the moment we've had a lot of outlay and the 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 the, the true potential is still to be realized well i think i think so in the lo- in the longer term so basically the steam pack is as you say is paying back what it requires to pay back to the to under the agreement to the taxpayer in essence the rest of the money is profit and that profit at the moment is staying in the steam packet and it is needed to stay in the steam packet because they will need uh, soon to start planning for and purchasing a new fast craft to replace the existing uh, fast craft. So they have capital costs to um, pay in the future. And we want the company to continue to operate efficiently, effectively and at profit so that it is well prepared to cover any uh, both unforeseen issue 
but also is well prepared for the future to meet the future spending that it needs to undertake. You're not expecting uh, another request for a loan for the next ship. You're hoping they're going to pay that themselves. As I understand it, that that is being paid for by the current buildup of the, uh, okay. of, you know, of the assets. Thank of you. The cash profit. Sorry. Thank you, um, Juan. You've been waiting patiently on the line. Good afternoon. You're alive with the Chief Minister. Hey, Alex. Hey, afternoon, Alf. How are you? Good afternoon, Juan. Very well, thank you. Good, and and thank you for giving us all the chance to be able to put questions to you on the program. Um, I'm sure you're a busy person. Um, I'm looking at, um, just quickly on the start of this, um, I'm, I'm just going to do a, a, an, an overreach because I haven't got a time to drill into anything with you on this programme. Um, I've seen a, a recent picture of you with um, Leo Varada from um, Ireland and uh, Mark Drakeford, um, both leading lights during the COVID um, period of um, freedom and um, uh, freedom of movement, I should say, not... Um, and um, I'm looking now at the euphoric um, euphoric response um, of Mark Drayford's resignation yesterday in Wales. And also um, looking at a video of Leo Varadkar um, as one of the uh, young leaders of the World Economic Forum getting um, praised within the Klaus Schwab bit. But I'll just park that for a minute and come back to that. Um, I'm, I'm sure... The people around you, like Sam and everyone, gives you updates of what's going on on social media and the radio. And I'm sure you listen to this program, as a lot of people do. And I have to put to you, you, you must understand at the moment, I've not seen for some time, so much disrest from the local people of what is happening nationally to the island. The Manx seems to be getting drawn out of the Isle of Man by this administration or the administration before. Um, and it seems to be getting very diluted. And people are getting very edgy about what's going on, Alf. Um, the overspends of government. And I hear you say now that it's getting reined in, but it's already happened. That's stable door and horse. Um, the money's been spent, and on some occasions, not very wisely. Um, and I could drill into it quite a few other things, but my, my overview of this is... Um, Kerman seems to be a law unto itself at the moment, and it seems to be doing what it wants to do, especially with this energy um, situation, these wind turbines. And I, I, I go back to what I said before with um, Varadka and the World Economic Forum, and I'm going to go on to ESGs and DEIs and ask you this question. Who is government and this administration working for the most at the moment? Are they working for Whitehall? Are they working for BlackRock, ESGs and the World Economic Forum agenda? Or are you working for the people of the island? Chief Minister. Well, there's a lot there. <laughs> but bottom line is, of course, we're working for the people of the island. You know, we have set out a very clear uh, plan. Uh, a, a, an island plan, an economic plan, an economic strategy for this island to tackle all the problems that you are talking about. And let's face it, I mean, we, this globally at the moment, globally, both economically and socially, there are huge numbers of issues. Some of those as a result of, of COVID, some of them now as a result of inflation uh, and others as a, as a result of the significant period of transition that we and other nations are in because of the global adoption of um, a drive towards changing effectively the balance of power when it comes to energy. 
and I mean, energy but, but, sources. The, and hang on, Alex, yeah, I need on. to finish. And energy sources, right? So we are dealing with a huge number of issues. And partly within, within that, right, when you take that down and take that down to uh, the island's position and why we're trying to address things in our island plan is an aging population, an aging population that is putting huge pressure on our health services and the health service delivery. And as a consequence, because of that aging population, the fact people are li living longer, medicines and all the rest of it, you know, one of the critical issues that is driving this economic overspend and, and, and some of the problems is really around health and, and what we're paying for it because the health overspends year on year. Of course, one of the reasons why we created Max Care was to try and bring this under control um, have, have been way beyond anything that's been um, predicted. And it's a demand-led service and the demand is increasing. And of course, the other issue on that, because it's putting so much cost pressures on government finances for a very low income government, a very low tax government, you know, we are trying to do our very, very best to resolve that within the, within the, the scope of, of, of what we can uh, operating as a low tax um, environment. So these are just some of the issues. But I think the critical point I want to make to Duan is we're working for the Manx people to deal and tackle with all these problems, but we are not alone. This is not an island that is, you know, the rest of the rest of the globe is dealing and trying to tackle with some of these problems in, and, and they're reflective in, in many ways in, in many countries in a far worse position than the island is. But I think one thing I was going to point there and pull out from June's comment, and it's mm. re um, reflected in a lot of the texts and questions that uh, I've had in ahead of the show, um, so apologies if I'm not reading out everyone's question, but it was more about the running the island for... Um, the, the the island people, uh, the Manx, and the identity of the Isle of Man. Um, I've had one question saying, um, why is the government ignoring the long-standing Timwald resolution um, that Manx language is represented on all government correspondence where it's now been missing from the new driving licences? Why have we got people coming in as new chief execs who are coming in from further afield and don't know the Isle of Man? Is the government... You keep repeating over and over about the world situation and the global situation, the economic situation. People understand that. That's that's the role of government to do all that kind of stuff. On the day-to-day, -day, um, it feels that government is out of touch, that the things that matter to people when they get up in the morning and they see um, the, the promenade looks tatty, they don't do this, this is not done in parks, fences are broken. It's a case of it's not big money things, it's caring for the place we live and it's almost a case of they get the feeling that the government isn't doing any of that, that means on an emotional level to people. Now, that, is that being addressed? Does it, well, is it even discussed? I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I agree with you that the promenade is, is tatty. I've spent this, this morning, actually, on the promenade. Uh, with, patched with, patched with, up tarmac, with, rusty with, with, railings? With a, with a visitor. Mm. And, well, there's always going to be small bits and pieces somewhere. But, you know, I'm not... I'm not okay. Not going to argue to, to, to death on this, but, you know, yes, OK, there are probably bits and pieces that need uh, sorting out. I think we've made a lot of progress, this government, actually, um, in terms of the levels of maintenance that are taking place across across the island and that we've made um, significant attempts to try and 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 deal with that. Uh, but why are the standards so low? I've walked what? into Strand Street this morning and the new paving area by 1886, and I'll use this as a small example, has obviously failed and it's been patched with tarmac. We spent millions on that promenade. It should be glorious. And it 
And quite frankly, you're standing on a pedestrian crossing in, in pools of mud because they didn't put any drains in. Um, you've got lampposts that are still twisted and broken. There's pipes coming out of the ground that don't do anything because we didn't finish it. And despite the will of Timwall telling you on numerous occasions, you still haven't finished the horse tram tracks. Right, well, <laughs> come on. Well, well fin- se- seriously, the, 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 it was devo- it was voted by Timwald, the will of Timwald. When is your government going to do the honourable thing and actually um, finish that promenade? Because people will ask and people will say, maybe uninformed comment, but they will say, we can just nod through tens of millions for this Liverpool ferry terminal. Why can't we finish a project at home to a high standard? And why can't we maintain things to a high standard? Alex, you know and I know that when that project was curtailed was because of the overspend that was going on with the promenade, right? Because it was a project that started off, as, as some of these projects do, with a relatively simple plan, but rapidly became more and more complicated as that project went on. And of course, eventually ran out of money. And the decision was made at the time that it, it, the ex- levels of expenditure was such that some of that money had to be diverted to, to completing the promenade and the tracks would not be at that time. So why completed. didn't that come back to a Timwall vote so, like you've done with the Liverpool Ferry Terminal? Because that's exactly what's happened at the ferry terminal. We, we've run out well, of money okay. so, and we've gone so over budget. everybody was acting totally lawfully, totally uh, legally. And, you know, Tim Ward obviously may have a view in terms of how that how those matters are dealt with in the future. But the council of ministers at that time determined that actually the way that needed to be deal, deal with it, rather than carry on spending and spending, was that something had to give. And these decisions are going to become more and more... Uh, apparent to us. What, the now, Council of Ministers as... overriding a rule, overriding well, a rule of Timwald? A will of Timwald? You've just said the Council of Ministers. I know for well that, um, I, if you can answer well, me on this one, the 750000 that was taken from the railway's safety budget um, went to um, a maintenance budget, went to the promenade. We had the tracks removed. This was voted for by Timwald, and you've just said the Council of Ministers overrode well, that. So, Are so, we going to get more of that? Well, no, but I mean, this has been happening for, for, for years in terms of projects, and, and, and somebody at some point has to make decisions, right? If you go back to Timwald every single time, it can take weeks for a, a, a Timwald decision. We're actually just reviewing that at, at, at the moment in terms of that is under discussion with Timwald effectively. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, the scrutiny. You say it could take weeks to take a decision. On on, on Tuesday, you've got gas that you're going to go rush through in a day. Hang on, hang on. So we need to understand in what circumstances Tim Ward wants the government to come back because when you're spending millions of pounds and you have people there and then needing decisions sometimes within days as to what to do if a project runs into trouble or a design uh, proves to be ineffective and these things happen on big, big construction problems and we need to work figure that out can i just come on to that so you mm-hmm. raise that yep. you want us to of course sometimes the government has to act swiftly and in this particular case yes we are coming to to the house of keys with a piece of legislation because we believed it absolutely necessary to do so so you know there are t- there's a time and a place for this but it is not necessarily a simple equation but absolutely you go to a point where well if you want Tim Ward summoned every five minutes because there's a decision to be made, then, then we need to change the way that things are operating at the moment. And if there's a will to do that, if there's a con- new will to change effectively the sort of constitutional setup at the moment, then no problems whatsoever. I'm very happy to have those those discussions. I, I think, you know, um, we won't spare on this because we've got another core on the line for too long, but um, the, the specific will of Tim Ward 
um, on this case was to put the horse trams back. The specific will of Timwald and a vote was not had on the side streets that needed paving or removing the paving from the roundels. So the, the decision... Um, was made to take the money away from something that had been specifically voted on. They didn't specifically vote on the roundels. They didn't specifically vote on the side streets. Um, this this has been a contentious project, and the the horse trams were always right. something that Alex, was contentious. I know you're a big supporter of the horse I, trams, I am, yes. and you're a big supporter of the trains and the trams, yep. right? I'm just merely explaining to you what the position was five or six years ago during the construction of this this project, right? So there is capacity to put these put these back clearly in terms of a structural um the structural ability to do that question is clearly if that if that were to be the case then the money has to be found and then clearly what else will have to to go alongside that in order to fund it and, and many people's comments will be that you've already had the money you've already voted well, on, on you spent it elsewhere well hang on the money was mm-hmm. out, the, the project cost more than the allocated budget and a decision mm-hmm. was made at the time that the government could could not carry on affording to complete the project within capacity and therefore something needed to happen in order to bring this project to a close and get that promenade restored and open because it was costing businesses a lot of time uh, and money and obviously it was coming at considerable cost and inconvenience to the people of the island as well. Okay, I've got um, one question on the back of that, and then we'll go to um, Nigel, who's been waiting patiently. Um, Rodney emailed in a question on the same sort of thing. Um, What is your personal attitude towards heritage and culture? I think it's very important, right? So it is very important. The question that we're all facing, Alex, is how to pay for all this stuff now, right? How to pay the millions and millions of pounds that it's costing to run heritage rail, right? And to pay for all the infrastructure, Mm -hmm. because it is being... you know, the priority list at the moment, as I said, our priority is delivery of health and education. They are the two, by far, by far, the two biggest spending departments in government. They consume well over 50% of the government's available budgets. And uh, our, the, the, the cost is growing. Right? And particularly with health, it is growing almost exponentially. So so our question is now a question of priorities because either, and this is something we have to deal with politically, mm-hmm. We either find and raise that money by asking people to pay more to use the facilities, but clearly have they got that capacity to do so? Do you set them up into a structure whereby it is the, the ability to raise funding is through some sort of trust or sort of some sort of charitable uh, position? Or basically, do, does the government need more income and do you have to raise taxes? Because the bottom line is these are the sorts of decisions that are facing us you know, on a daily basis. Uh, and we're being charged with this determining what and where uh, and how the public funds must be spent uh, in, in order to, uh, you know, at a level of priority to, to meet the, the, what we regard as the public priority. Uh, Nigel, you've been waiting patiently. You're on live with the Chief Minister. Uh, good afternoon, Alex. Good afternoon, Alf. It's Nigel Sparring from Albany Tours. Season's greetings to you both. Thank you, Nigel. Thank you. Alf, just a quick question. Um, I mean, we've spoken many times before, but just to get my head round something, and I'm not a politician, I'm not a construction worker, and it's still on the base of this Liverpool terminal. 
And what Alex has just said, you know my background in tourism, and I'm very passionate about that. I think the cruise industry is growing well, and it, it should do, and we should have more finance and back it into that. And also the trams and the horse trams. I think there's a lot of money being wasted, a serious amount of money being wasted in other areas, like the TT and all that kind of thing, where we just need to look after the tourist industry. But what I don't understand is that, this, and it's going to exceed 100 million over budget. An island that's 23 by 13 in a population of 80,000 is absolutely crazy to have something that is that far over budget. Why was it not stopped when it went about 10, 20 million over budget to the contractors and said to them, there's something wrong here, and stopped it there and then, put them in court and say, look, I'll see you at the other end, and redo another contractor, you'd have been far better off doing that. I understand it's water depth and there's problems over there, but how on earth has it got to 100 million, and it will be, and nobody, and we don't know who's going to be accounted for, and I don't think probably we ever will, but it's a drastic amount of money for an island of this size, and I'm sure you feel in your position it's quite embarrassing. Well, look, Nigel, no one is comfortable with the, um, with, the, with the position in terms of the amount of money that has been invested into the landing stage and considering where it started. I can't answer all of your questions, but essentially, um, you know, why didn't it stop at 10 or 20 million? Uh, I guess because, you know, and, and again, this will have to be looked at by public accounts committees, but you get to... you. You get into a project, you get to a cost cost position. The question asked: Do you keep do you, you know do you keep digging or do you stop? And clearly, have you made any cuts? Evaluations in... that were made with it was that you keep going. Have in you made terms, any cutbacks in, in terms, terms of um, thing the, the nice to haves that we well, didn't need at Liverpool? Has that well, been mate, looked into? Yeah. The whole the, clearly, this is a, a fairly in terms of the infrastructure that's that's available, um, and you know it is a functional building. Um, in terms of the technical details, I'm absolutely we got experienced consultants there have been looking at all the cost and the cost base but Nigel to answer your question and I am no expert and I have to hold my hand up in terms of uh, construction contracts but these are national standard uh, contracts they build in a whole range of different uh, options and scenarios simply because these uh, capital projects whether they're private sector or even in the public sector can go wrong We've seen that multiple times, and um, I don't think it is possible just to pull the plug and tell tell the contractors that's that's it. You just have you have to keep working through the legal position, and I'm sure all this will need to be examined and answers, proper answers determined in terms of those reflective answers from the from from the scrutiny committees or whatever Tim will determines is needed to ensure that that we get some. Uh, lessons learned as per, per per normal, so that we try and stop this from happening again. There we well, go. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you're right there, but I still feel that you still, and whether it was you or anybody else that was in your position, that it would have been more practical to stop it at 20 million or even 30 million, because you're still 70 million over the top. And I'm sure if you'd have brought a new contractor in, it still wouldn't have cost 100 million. But I'm never going to get the answer for it. And uh, I just hopefully that, uh, you know, somebody is accounted for it and we do get an end result. And something like this never, never happens to the Isle of Man again. OK, Nigel, thank you very much for your call. And um, we're back with the Chief Minister just after this. Manx Radio, the nation's Christmas station. The only station we listen to at the North Pole.
Okay, it's quarter to one. We're still live with the Chief Minister on Man in Line this afternoon. Um, going back to the phones in a sec. Um, Chief Minister, I had a um, message in from a lady who wants to uh, remain anonymous, but um, she was at A&E earlier this week um, after being taken in by ambulance, experienced a long waiting time, was told there was a lack of beds and um, had to stay on a seat. And eventually, um, because the, the waiting time was so long, she got a taxi home and nothing was done. Do we have a, a winter crisis um, in terms of our NHS. And the other question um, that she puts off the back of this is, if we have a winter crisis, why is our health minister more concerned about the bishop's vote? <laughs> Over to you. Well, listen, I mean, I'm, you know, clearly at A&E at any point in time because of, you know, what whatever's happening around could potentially uh, result in a long wait. I know that uh, people have, have clear sort of parameters in terms of the, the prioritisation of what gets looked at as a matter of urgency. I'm really sorry that somebody had to go to A&E and ultimately get, 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 a, taxi, um, get a taxi home uh, because they couldn't get, because they ha- couldn't get seen. And I'm not aware of, of, of a winter crisis. I am obviously aware that the Manx Care did issue a warning about, about vomiting um, bug and, and that, that it was highly contagious and was, was moving around the island. Um, I hadn't. I have not received any formal notification that the health service is functioning at a critical level at the moment. Um, so uh, I'm sorry. The, sorry about that. But uh, I presume that was just the circumstances on the day. Um, but do, but, but do have you no feel that Manx Care model is working? Because there, there is this disconnect that actually, before Manx Care came along. Um, the health minister, whoever he or she was, um, was responsible. And in terms of, from a democratic point of view, one of the things we love about the Isle of Man is how close we can get to our politicians. You and I can have this conversation and debate on air. Um, but now there seems to be that disconnect of it's Manx Care's problem, it's Manx Care's problem, where it's paid for by us. So um, is the Manx Care model working, or is there more to be done that actually, if there are issues, problems, crises, that the health minister should be able to go, look... This is something we need dealing with, as it was in the past before the establishment of Manx Care. Well, I've been dealing with healthcare crises ever since I've walked mm. in to the House of Keys mm. uh, and Timwald, you know, 12 and a half years ago. So this is not necessarily something that, that, that is new. I've been dealing with overspends in the health service for 12 and a half, 13 years. I've been dealing with a lack of confidence in the system. Remember, you know, one of the first things that happened when I came in was that West Midlands were called in to look mm-hmm. at the Isle of Man health system for three or four years because that people were were, were genuinely um, concerned about the safety of patients in op- operations and, and that period. So, you know, there was very good foundations for us to want to change the way that Manx mm-hmm. Care was operating. It has only been operating effectively now for two two years or so, I think, and it needs still needs that that chance to continue to see the continuous improvement in terms of delivery. There's been a strong that we are spending millions of pounds on transformation in terms of trying to improve the effectiveness of our delivery, trying to work out you know what the service levels should be over here, uh, and making sure, of course, that we are working as closely as possible with our counterparts in the northwest to, to maintain the highest levels of service. But there is still pressure on the system. And a lot of that pressure at the moment is is around staffing resource and the availability of staff. So there's still some way to go. Um, but Manx Care critically um, do have a now a, a, a critical year in front of them to prove their worth. And a lot of that, of course, is going to come around their delivery within again within budgets. So I go back to the issue that we were talking about. Uh, it's a demand-led service, but nevertheless, they now have to get a grip of how 
the money is spent, the prioritization applied to that, uh, and to deliver the best service possible within the allocation that they are currently receiving. So one more year, I think this this will be a critical year for them in 2024-25. Okay. Can you understand the optics on the, I know it's a glib comment at the end there, but the optics of people who don't know the ins and outs of Timwall, they don't know the ins and outs of government and its operation, when they turn around and say, and it's, it is it is an example, I, I grant you, there are others, that when she says, why is the health minister more bothered about the bishop's vote rather than sorting out the so, problems of my health? How, how can you can explain that to the person on the street who thinks that? Well, that's up to them. That, that, that's up to Laurie Hooper, right? Mm-hmm. Now, let, let me be absolutely clear, because I do, because there is some confusion. Yeah. This is not a government matter. This is a private member's bill. Mr. Hooper is determined that he should. This is a matter for him to, to resolve. I have no uh, idea why he has chosen to, to, to bring that on to the floor of Timwald. Um, if I felt that he was deprioritizing health in any way, then clearly that I would be significantly concerned. But, you know, he, he has that right. We talked about democracy yep. earlier, Alex, who started challenging me on d- democracy yep. earlier in the program. He has a democratic right to do that. Personally, as you know, I completely disagree with him. I also don't think, you know, in terms of the national priorities, that it is uh, anywhere near anything like like the top. Uh, of the list and I can understand why uh, your caller uh, is concerned. Lovely. Thank you for clearing that up. Stephen, you're on live with the Chief Minister. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Alex. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. And most importantly, good afternoon, listeners. I wonder if I could make some points and ask for some comments, please. The first one would be over the the promenade uh, and the, and the, the horse trams you know, and I think the listeners know, that that's a one-off. And it's not really fair to say you can't run to Timbald all the time. That was a major scheme. In fact, if I remember rightly, Bill Malarkey brought another motion to Timbald to ensure that the trams ran the full length of the promenade. And I would suggest it wasn't brought to Timbald because you probably knew you would lose the motion and you would have to find more money. It was skullduggery at its worst, politics at its best. So that's, that's the first observation. The second one is that uh, I do hope that you do agree that the freedom of information should go to the Steam Packet and the MDC because both these entities have the capability to borrow huge sums of money. Uh, MDC, I don't agree with the plan for Westmoreland Road. It's far too dense and uh, involved with that particular plan. I, when it comes to planning, I do hope that uh, due process is followed and uh, it's not called in by the, by the council of ministers to approve or disprove. I do think we should let the independent planning inspector do his work properly on that. OK, Stephen, let me because I'm running short of time, let the Chief Minister come back on, on your question there in terms of um, FOI. I know you've stood up here in, term, um, in uh, Tim Walden Keys and said that actually the Steam Packet, the Manx Development Corporation, I believe Isle of Man Meats as well off the top of my head, isn't subject to FOI. Um, the Steam Packet one is the, the, the one that's being talked about a lot by, I know, a colleague, Mr Thomas. Um, in terms of um, the use of government money, they've had substantial amounts of government money. Why should the public not be allowed to ask um, an FOI? Well, 
we're going to look at that. I think, you know, when Tim will purchase, when we went to Tim Ward and said, when I went to Tim mm -hmm. Ward and said, look, I think it is in the national interest to purchase the Isle of Man steam packet. We're fed up, fed up of it being leveraged by corporate institutions to borrow money. We don't know what value we're getting out of it. It was done, and, and many members of Timwald at the time, and I know Timwald's changed in the makeup, but there were many members of Timwald, there were a very strong view for the Council of Ministers at the time, and bear in mind it's a collective, um, was that actually this should continue to run as much as possible as a private uh, enterprise. Clearly, the control is, is issued through the shares, to, through the sea services agreement as a DOI and there's various fare structures, etc. that need to be managed and agreed. And obviously the shareholder at the moment, of course, is the Treasury Minister. He has regular meetings with, with the company. And there are some agreed limitations about what they can and cannot do in, the, in that shareholder's um, agreement. So, so it's... So absolutely. Would you like uh, to see them the, on the subject of FOI? Well, I think we're gonna, we are going to look at it. We just need to assess the impact. One can see what some some of the you know some of the movers of this uh, you know Mr. Thomas effectively want. They want to almost get control of the company. You know, one of the concerns when we brought it was that actually it would just become effectively a a, 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 a vehicle basically for for political um, popularity, if you like, and. Um, it, eventually it would just just not become a private company and you wouldn't get the professional levels of professionalism you need to maintain a shipping company like like that I know everyone thinks it's very simple to run a, that's probably not not very fair there's a lot of professionalism needed and of course when it comes to that level of freedom of information then you know you generally tend to find some impact in terms of the way that people act and you know, behave, and we want to make sure. That's all we're asking is just this time now to evaluate and make sure it's going to properly add value um, to the tax plan. There are no reasons that it's going to be used nefariously to gain advantage um, to to other people who may either be acting to seek competitively and therefore thus damage. Although the there are safeguards to that in the legislation, well, aren't there? That when it comes to that's, nefarious and um, also commercial well, no, interests. No, no, no. Yeah, stuff. well, there is. There yeah. is some safeguards. So we just need to assess this, Alex. That's yeah. all. And that's what our undertaking is. I don't have a massively strong position on this, but we just need to have a look and that's what we're committed to do. As a, as a, as a company in Radio Manx Limited, whose beneficial owner is the Treasury and we're subject to FOI, it's nice to hear you say that, Chief <laughs> Minister. Um, we're out of time. Thank you very much. Um, as Alex, you can imagine, can we... I just quickly yep. wish everybody who's listening and did everybody across the island a very happy Christmas, and I hope people get some time to sit and relax um, for a, for a day or two, anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Chief Minister, for coming in. Um, we could have discussed a whole variety of different questions. Thank you for all your questions you've sent in uh, for Alpha Cannon today. I hope you're not feeling too bruised, Chief Minister. Would you come back again and talk to us about yeah, in the new year? Of course, of course. Um, have a lovely Christmas you. And to you and yours. Stick around on your nation station. Christy Dehaven is up next with one to three. I shall be back probably on some show or other by Monday. Who knows which show it'll be the way things are going. Have a lovely weekend and do take care of each other. Ta-da now.